Good morning. Good to see so many friendly faces this morning. Good to see the rest of you also. <laughs> we are turning to the back of our Bibles today, uh, to the book of Revelation. Not quite at the very end. We are in chapter 21. I'm going to be, our, our text is really the whole chapter, but I'm just going to be reading verses uh, 1 through 21. So I encourage you uh, to follow along with me in the Bible. I'm going to be turning here and there, directing our attention here and there. So I encourage you to keep your Bibles open. All right, let's give ear to the reading of God's Word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names, the twelve names, of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same of its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, 
which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. This is the reading of the very word, the living God. The title of this morning's message, message is The Eighth Church of Revelation. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, as you inspired this holy word, may you implant it in our hearts as we give ear to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the book of Revelation is basically a pastoral letter from our Lord Jesus to his church uh, around the world and throughout the age. It is given us by our Lord uh, to encourage us to persevere in a world that is filled with tribulation, troubles, sorrows, difficulties, to persevere in faith, in the faith, while we await his return. Now, usually when we think of the book of Revelation, the churches of Revelation, that is, we think of the seven congregations to which it is addressed. Seven churches in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. Uh, we read in Revelation 1, uh, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Seven churches. Uh, but there's an eighth church in the book of Revelation. A church that overwhelms and eclipses the others. This eighth church is referenced in each of the seven letters that we find spread for us in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. We are given glimpses of this eighth church throughout the body of the book of Revelation. And it is as we near the end of this book that this eighth church comes into full view. And that's where we're going to be looking at this morning. Just like the seven churches, this eighth church is associated with a city. And this morning, we're going to survey that city. Now, I don't have a real estate license, but I, what I'd like to do is take a real estate approach to our survey as we explore Revelation 21. And we're going to do it under four categories, four headings. All right, now, when it comes to real estate, what do they say is the most important thing in determining value? Well, location, 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 right? Well, that's the first category. Location, location, location. A home's value 
is related to where it is located. So that a house in Southern California might be worth thousands, tens of thousands of dollars more than a church, I'm sorry, than a, than a house somewhere else in the country. And when it comes to this eighth city of Revelation, location is the decisive factor. Now, the seven churches to which Revelation is addressed are all located in the same region. They, are all, they all share the same zip code. Now, I'm not talking about Asia Minor. I'm talking about all seven of these churches, just as Meadowcroft Presbyterian Church, are all located in this fallen world. Now, what is a fallen world? Well, it's a world that has come under the ravages of sin. We read about it as we in Revelation, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 3, and see what it is like when we turn the page of Genesis 3 to Genesis 4. And we see how sin has impacted this world. And it is filled with death and disease and decay. And here's why location is so important. Because it matters not just the condition of this fallen world, it has to do with what's going to happen to this fallen world. On this fallen world is this giant sign that says, condemned, slated for destruction. And that's the case of this world and all that is part of it. But unlike the seven cities, which Revelation has addressed, this eighth city has a different location. It belongs to a redeemed heaven and earth. Look at John's description in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Down verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So what John directs our attention to is something that is new. New heaven, new earth, and that speaks of an entire new created order. The old and the new are represented by Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the capital city of ancient Israel. Jerusalem is the place that God chose as the capital, chose for His name to dwell Jerusalem is where the temple of God was built that would represent God dwelling in the midst of His people. The new Jerusalem that's referenced here doesn't have to do, doesn't refer to modern day Jerusalem. We're told here in our text, and it was first mentioned in 
uh, the sixth letter uh, in Revelation 3 to the letter to Philadelphia where it's spoken of the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven. This new Jerusalem represents the new creation. The day when God would make all things new. The fallen creation will be done away with. The fallen creation molested by sin would be done away with. And the redeemed creation, unmolested, new, will be ushered in. So you see what's in view? Not just a city, but it is a habitat for a redeemed humanity. All right, so why is location so important in this eighth city, this eighth church? It's because the kingdom of this world is condemned and all that is part of it, all who are part of it, will suffer destruction. That destruction is graphically portrayed in Revelation, and particularly you'll see it graphically portrayed in the preceding chapter, Revelation 20. But all those who are part of this redeemed creation, all of those who are part of what God makes new, will reign forever and ever. You see this kind of a double-edged sword that's being raised here, isn't it? It's because this is both a wonderful encouragement to those who will be part of the new creation, but it is a dire warning to those still part of this fallen world. That's the first category, location, location, location. The second category, I'm calling a property description. Property description. Sometimes uh, you find in a real estate listing a description of the property, and you'll have like the square footage of a house and what kind of house it is, you know, its style, a number of rooms, various amenities. And here in Revelation 21, we find, also find a description it will speak of architectural notes and building materials and construction details. Let me give you a sample. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, if you ever look at uh, real estate listings, sometimes they tend to um, embellish a bit, a little bit of euphemism here and there, and it'll speak of a, a waterfront property, but that's only after heavy rain and there's a massive puddle in the front yard. Or unique could mean it's one of a kind, and that's not a good thing. Or cozy might mean cramped and 
claustrophobic. But this language that we hear in Revelation, this language that's being laid out for us in this chapter 21, it is not exaggerating. In fact, this language is inadequate. It is insufficient. And what, what's done in order for God to communicate to us, He uses things that are, that are marvelous in our eyes. You know, He speaks of gates of pearl and streets of gold. We know what gold's like. We know what pearl's like. And our eyes get big at this just to give us an inkling and language that we can understand how wonderful and awesome what will be the splendor of what is in store for those who love God? Remember I said it's inadequate? That's because though this picture widens our eyes, what is in store for us is greater than we could ever possibly imagine. Verse 14 speaks of 12 foundations. And, uh, you know, things don't have 12 foundations. There's one foundation, right? But the book of, language, uh, the book of Revelation is written in an apocalyptic genre. It uses the language of symbol and figurative language. It uses numbers. There are several numbers that speak to completeness. Three or four or seven. Here the number of completeness used is 12, which refers to the unity of the whole as it speaks to the whole of the people of God. All of the saints, the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, being one people built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Now, location, property description, and the third category, it's called city life. City life. Sometimes real estate listings will give you a feel for the area. You know, you know, so you know what you're getting into. It'll give you an idea what, what schools are like or parks or things like that. They'll, uh, these listings will describe what there is to do and give what the cultural scene is like. Well, here... Actually, the whole book of Revelation, Revelation gives us a feel for life in the New Jerusalem. Let me just highlight a few things. Again, let me read verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. See, we're, we're told there's no more sea. Now, how appealing is that? For I grew up in the ocean. I love the ocean. We go to the ocean every year. <coughs> I was talking about sea, gave me a hankering for water. I'm not sure how that works, but you know. But the whole idea of there not being a sea, and actually to have to put it in print. I mean, how how appealing is that? But you see, the sea. Uh, the language, the language here is, is not literal. It is symbolic. Now, we associate the sea with beauty, with peacefulness. But in the ancient Near East, the sea was an image of evil and turmoil, chaos. 
So when it speaks here of there being no sea, that doesn't mean that in the new creation there won't be oceans or lakes or waterfalls. It means that there will be um, the absence of sin, the removal of sin and its effects, and permanent peace and stability. That's what's being communicated here. Verse 2 brings together, bring to bear another image. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, one of the things that Revelation does is it brings images, and there's much of it brought in from the Old Testament, and it layers things for us. And one of the things that's brought to bear here is this idea of the bride and the bridegroom, a marriage. It speaks of Jesus having his bride, his church for whom he died. And it speaks of the bridegroom and the bride together and the joy of that. And the joy doesn't just belong to the church, to the people. The joy belongs to Jesus in His love for us. Where we'll be with Him forever. We're told that we are adorned. What does that mean? It means this, that in, as we, in this new heavens and the new earth, we will be made perfect in beauty. There will be no blemish of sin. We will be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We will be clothed in His righteousness. We will be clothed, as is often pictured in the book of Revelation, in white garments, spotless because of the blood of the Lamb. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. One of the themes that runs throughout the Bible, it starts in the book of Genesis, uh, particularly Genesis 12, and it's where this God here, a fallen world, but this God entered into a relationship with a people who would be his own possession. And this promise would be not only to Jews, but to Gentiles. Where God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And this covenant promise is raised up, and it is the banner that flies over the whole of Scripture. And we hear that repeated throughout the Word of God. And now we come to the last book of the Bible. And we come to the new creation. And what do we read? I will be your God. You will be my people. And that promise will be fully and wonderfully realized. Where we, in this new city, will be perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of our God into all eternity. And that's why when you turn up, turn the dial, and you turn up the soundtrack to Revelation, what do you hear? You hear worship. You hear praise and thanksgiving 
and this beauty of this relationship of God with His people. Now one of the things in Revelation throughout the book, it showcases stuff like this. It showcases trouble and turmoil and tribulation and misery and suffering and persecution and oppression. It speaks to what life is like as we are weighed down under the cares of this fallen world. What life is like for us who bear the name of Jesus Christ, who are persecuted by a world that is against God and His Christ. But now as we come to the new Jerusalem, the church in glory, as part of the new cosmos, what will it be like? Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You hear what he's saying? Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you hear what he's saying? He says, whatever is weighing you down right now, whatever is wringing out your heart and causing you such, it will, it will be gone and you will never, ever experience that again because the fallen creation, the fallen order of things is no more. I love the way that Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, encourages us in the book of Romans, when he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, what he's describing here in this city life is life as it was originally intended in direct, glorious, uninterrupted communion with God. Let's describe for us. Look at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. No temple. Why is that? It's because of this. God will be immediately present with us. And by immediately, I mean there is no mediation there is no longer any curtain because that was torn from top to bottom. There is no longer anything barring us from God. Our access will be direct. It will be immediate. Our faith will be turned to sight and we will see Him face to face forever and ever. There will be no gates because there will be no threat. 
No sun or moon. Now that does not mean that there will be no night day. Doesn't mean there will be no celestial bodies. Doesn't mean there will be no uh, sun or moon in the new creation. It doesn't mean that. What it's doing is it's drawing from the language of Isaiah, Isaiah 60, in this case, to point to the, what it is like to experience the fullness of the glory of God. I just want to give you a taste. I don't want to read the whole thing. I want to give you a taste so that we can understand what it is that is being described to us as part of this being part of the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah 60, verse 19. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. That's what's being drawn upon in this image. All right, location, property, description, city, life. One more category. Calling it demographics. Demographics. Who is it that's going to populate this new creation? Let's look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, meaning heir. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Who are these ones? Who are these ones who conquer? Who are these ones who overcome? Well, we're told in verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You see who's being talked about here? It's being, who's being talked about are those brought by Jesus Christ into his kingdom. The new Jerusalem is populated by the entirety of the elect of God, the bride of the Lamb, a people from every nation, tongue, and tribe who by the work of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God have been brought to bow the knee before Him who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit to belong to God, the living God, and made citizens of heaven. And we see that, see glimpses of this throughout the book of Revelation. And we see it again here in verse 27 as we see the registry of the redeemed. Verse 27, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only, here it is, those who are written in the Lamb's book of life.
be honest. Does that give you a little pause? Make you a bit uneasy? Because we read these lists and we know full well that there are times when we have been unfaithful to our God. We know that there are times that we have committed idolatry. We read in Colossians that when we covet what someone else has covet, that is idolatry. There are other ways that we give glory and allegiance that belongs only to God and we do it, give it to something else. We know there are times that we have lied and indulged in sexual impurity. We know there are times that we have broken the commandment not to murder by our anger. And so the question is, who are we to find a place in this census of salvation? Who are we to find a home in the new Jerusalem? What's the answer? The answer is not in our righteousness. The answer is in Him whose righteousness we are clothed in. Because we, throughout Revelation, are called to overcome. That is something each of the letters says to overcome. But how do we overcome? We overcome not by our efforts, not by what we do, could do. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Only in Him. And having being, being found in Him, what that means is this, that we will not experience the second death. That's mentioned in verse 8. Mentioned a couple times in chapter 20. Mentioned to one of the churches in Revelation chapter 2. We will not experience the second death, which is eternal damnation. Why? Because Jesus, the King, the one to whom all authority on heaven and on earth and on the earth was given, He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of life and light. This deliverance from the perishing uh, dominion of darkness and into the everlasting kingdom of God and His Christ, this admission that we have by faith to the wedding feast of the Lamb, this great salvation of which we have sung is what we celebrate every time we observe the Lord's Supper. We declare by faith that our hope is not in ourselves, not in one thread. We contribute not one thread to the garment of our righteousness, but our hope is found in what Jesus Christ did for us. We declare that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And having been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God we deserve through Him? That we are saved from the second death. In this sacrament, we come as sinners, saved by grace, remembering our Savior and proclaiming His death on our behalf as our hope for this life 
and that which is to come.